0: Hirings and firings and big news on the island we're going to talk about it all here on this week's episode of the indie ball report podcast all right we're back again episode number 144 of the indie ball report podcast i'm nick iswell you won't be hearing, well, I guess technically, we conducted the interview, so you will be hearing from us a fairly good bit this episode, but mostly, you're going to be hearing our interview this week with Eric Scheffler, the uh, Staten Island Ferry Hawk team president. It's a good interview. We got a little bit to get to before that and a little bit to get to after that, but all in all, it'll be a good episode this week.
1: Very excited. I mean... Uh That will be a majority of the episode, but um, I think that it was a really good interview. Um, A lot of insight, I think, of what goes into um, getting this team, specifically on Staten Island, since I think it's a little bit of a more unique situation, say, than a lot of other markets. Um, And so there's a lot to talk about. Uh, I think the interview is very good. I'm excited about it. Can't wait for for everybody to hear about it
0: absolutely there and so on that note we'll start off with the atlantic league news and then we'll get to our interview and then we'll get to that last bit of news as well so we in the way of news in the atlantic league on monday and on uh, tuesday we had kind of a hiring bonanza first off in lexington we've got that pj phillips is going to return for year two at the helm of lexington and then we found out that the new or I shouldn't even really say new Kentucky team because it's only going to exist for one year, is going to be held by Mark Minakazi. Now, obviously, uh, for those paying attention, Mark Minakazi, I guess technically now, is was the manager of the Charleston Dirty Birds, West Virginia Power, West Virginia to be named later as whatever you'd like to call him for this past year, which left a spot open. On Tuesday, we found out who was filling that spot, and that went to Billy Horn, another friend of the show that was at one point on the show. So uh, obviously, three good managers put in place here, three really good guys put in place here, and uh, we can now dissect this as to why it's a good or bad move.
1: Yeah, so I think um, there's so many things, so many moving pieces I guess the easy one to start off with P.J. Phillips. I mean, they won the championship. Yeah. So, like, what else is there to say? <laughs> that yeah. that he's coming back next year. I mean, that seemed like a pretty, a fairly obvious move on that front uh, to bring him back. He did such a good job in, in his first year. Um, and that, so he, he was really, really impressive in, in year one. Um, and... It seemed like a pretty easy move to bring him back. So no real surprise there. I am curious. And and first of all, as far as like since the Charleston job was open, yeah. the fact that that Billy Horn got is so exciting because oh, yeah. he, he, he deserves that in every way. Um, just, he's really helped Jamie Keith and the rest of that high point tree down there, build up a great roster for, for a couple, for a couple of years now. Um, and, I've always thought that, at least when it comes to building rosters, High Point is, at least in, initially, is, is always kind of ahead of the curve. where well, they were in 2019 mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, Lexington came in and kind of uh, did a lot of the things that High Point did in 2019. I think that's why they were successful. But mm-hmm. I always thought that, hey, if you were going to try and take from that High Point tree that was going to be a good resource to so similar similar example i think like in the mlb when uh people are always taking from the Rays front office yeah. not to say that the the rockers operate like the Rays, because obviously they don't that's not how indie ball works uh, yeah. but I, I think in the same way the rockers have gotten so good um at building rosters and uh hitting on a lot of guys that maybe um, you didn't know a whole lot about initially and I think that taking from that tree is a really good idea. And I think that Billy Horn, uh, now getting the chance to not only, not only build his own roster, uh, which he, of course, did a lot of the high point anyway, but yeah. just being, being the on field manager, which he does have experience with as well. Uh, that's, that's a really exciting thing. And I, I think you could not have picked a better manager, uh, honestly, like, he, he's, he's done such a good job. He's, he's so well versed, has so many connections in the world of indie ball. Uh, I, think, I think Charleston's very happy, Should be very happy with the hire that they have made. Now, on the other hand, I am a little bit curious as to why. After I mean, Mark Benakazi, it was uh, we'll call it a roller coaster ride yeah. uh, for Charleston in year one. I mean, you had about as terrible of a first half as you could possibly have. But not all was their fault. They had a lot of. They had at least in the first half, they had what I thought was a talented roster, mm-hmm. um, and they had a lot of visa issues uh, that they weren't able to get guys over, uh, get over, get them over to the United States. They had to make some late signings. Kind of just had to put a team on the field early, and uh, I think that that put them in a tough spot. But when the everyone was there in the second half. Uh, they caught fire and they got they got to the playoffs, um, nearly nearly beating Lexington. Of course, losing in that three game series. So I think that I was curious. I, I want to know more about that move because while Minikaze of course, is going to be a manager next year, managing uh, managing in like with the Kentucky baseball team, name to be determined. It's a traveling team, right? Uh, I mean, well, not a traveling team. In the yeah, sense it's, of,
0: just, it's just not a permanent team.
1: It's a one-year team. So like, what's his move after that? Was this a move of Charleston saying, hey, we would rather have Billy Horn over you as manager? Is this the, the of course, because the Lexington ownership group led by Andy Shea is... Yeah. Uh, Owns all three teams. Is this a move they orchestrated? Is this the move Minakazi wanted? It, there's a lot of questions for me of how this came about because it's not. It's, it wasn't. I, it wasn't a thing that I saw coming that Minakazi would leave Charleston. Yeah. Um. So I'm curious as to know what really happened there. While he is managing in, in the Atlantic league next year, I am interested as to. Well, what's what's the future? What does the future hold after that? It's not like Billy Horn is some one-year holdover in Charleston either. Yeah. So I, th- I think there's a lot of questions about that part of the move that I, I'm interested to see if there could be some answers on in the near future.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with you on that. I mean, I wasn't expecting to see, you know, a big reshuffling. I I had some inclination that we were going to see a little bit of a, a deck tear shuffling because keep in mind the lexington staff also had a little bit of turnover too i believe they switched out their trainer uh there's a couple other pieces i think they were moving around a little bit but i all in all obviously you're bringing pj back on top of the fact that his brother is part of the ownership structure he also did win on the field so both angles just you know was coming back Menikaze, like you're saying, was surprising. If you're gonna hire him and get rid of him in one year, it does seem a little bit uh, silly to do that. Uh, more than that, though, I don't think it was just a case of he did it one year and just didn't want to be doing it anymore. That doesn't seem like you know it'd make all that much sense to me. I think you'd at least give it another extra year. And if he didn't want to be you know managing any further, then why would he you know take another job managing in the same league, you know, for the same ownership group at that? Uh, so that. I don't really know what the deal is with that. Obviously, very happy for Billy Horn. I mean, the dude, he's a winner. He wins wherever he goes. He has great roster construction skills, like you mentioned, Will. And, you know, he's just a really, really nice guy. Like, a genuinely really nice guy. And, I mean, we could go through his whole background and everything like that. But it seems a bit redundant to do that. And, I mean, if people are really that interested, just go look at our interview with him from about, uh, oh, I'd say about, 18 months or so ago back during like may or june of 20 and i mean most of that's still up to date so i mean just listen to that and you'll you'll see what i mean by him just being a nice guy he knows how to win i think he'll be perfect fit in that uh in that it's charleston like west virginia down the nose because i'm used to them being west virginia but in the charleston uh a team in front office and on the field so uh it is interesting though i to see the the Charleston reshuffling is something I didn't necessarily expect, but it's not even I want to say all that surprising just because of the nature of indie ball, you know.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right when you say that. That's the uh, that's the that's how indie ball kind of works, you know. Yeah. There's there's just a lot of a lot of shuffling, but it, it, it surprised me overall. Yeah. It really did. I think that you know I, I, I it, it was interesting. Uh, I think it, I want to, I want to know what was more behind that as well. I, Cause I think overall the like Minakazi did a pretty good job in year one.
2: Yeah. Um,
1: given all the circumstances. Uh, and so I don't know. I mean, uh, but of course, Billy Horn being manager, great move for them. They'll be, they'll be good as a result. And, and I expect that South Division to continue to be, uh, insanely good like that that to me just seems like a a division that's going to be just a gauntlet for years to come
0: oh yeah no that's not going to be fun guestoni really is going to need to do something to try and jump back into the pack here because even by like atlantic league expansion standards they were not a bad team last year they're they were okay i mean they weren't good but i mean they were okay but i mean when you look at High Point and you look at West Virginia and you look at you know Lexington, you look at all these other teams, man, it's just not an enviable position to be in if you're Gastonian at the moment.
1: No, not at all. And I think when you look when you compare that to a team like Staten Island who's coming in, and well, it's obviously tough to ask them to overtake Long Island, and it's probably not going to happen at least initially. Yeah. Um, the good news for them is that, um, I mean, York and Lancaster have been pedestrian, yeah. really. Southern Maryland, too. Like, those are, that is a much better position to be in in the north, as opposed to Gassoni in the south, who has to deal with all these teams and all these unbelievable coaching stats, and uh, you know, it, it's tough for them, so I uh, I definitely agree with you there, that I think it's Uh, certainly a better position to be in for for Staten Island as opposed to a team like Estonia.
0: I 100% agree there. And with that, I suppose we should go and get a little bit more information on Staten Island because we do have a great interview with the Staten Island team president, Eric Scheffler, waiting to be listened to uh, right around now. So before we jump headlong into that interview, do we have uh, anything we want to you know, preface the interview with saying because I think there was some uh, some interesting stuff in there.
1: Yeah, a lot of interesting stuff. I would, uh, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything else. I think just let the interview speak for itself. I'm excited.
0: Alright then. So with that, we'll now turn it over to our interview with the Staten Island team president, Eric Pichotty. <laughs> We are back again, continuing our interview series this week, and we have a treat for you. We are back to talk about the newest and latest and hopefully greatest Atlantic League franchise, and that is the Stanton Island Fairyhawks. And to talk about them, we have the president of the Stanton Island Fairyhawks, Eric Shuffler. Welcome to the show. How are you doing?
3: Uh, super excited to be here. Uh, you both have been such an integral part of the process of getting here. You know myself as well as other members of the ownership group you know we've listened to all of your podcasts and you know i still have my notes uh from some of your early interviews and discussions on staten island going back a year you know really looking at what you guys had felt hadn't gone right and what the market needed and it really was instrumental uh, in helping us get ready and pursue this opportunity so it really is uh exciting and an honor to be here with you guys
0: Uh, I love to hear that. And I'm very happy that we could be helpful in this process. And hopefully today we could be more helpful if not for uh, just getting more brand awareness of Staten Island out there. And so, I guess with that point, I'm going to start with uh, kind of a general overview question, which is just how you wound up in Staten Island. Uh, obviously, uh, just looking off of the resume, uh, baseball isn't the chief thing among it. And so, I'm just <laughs> kind of, I'm just kind of curious as to how you wandered into Staten Island. And uh, you know, obviously, at this point, done a very good job. But I'm just kind of curious how you wound up here.
3: Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Yeah. So I'm so excited to be in Staten Island. The people of Staten Island have been amazing. They're incredibly enthusiastic. They're hungry for a winner. They're hungry for a team. They're hungry for something that the island can rally around and something that provides year-round entertainment. So, you know, the path I got here, you know, it was a great one and I'm really fortunate and excited to be here. But yeah, you know, I've been in politics my whole life, but I'm a baseball guy. I love baseball. It is a true passion of mine. I am reading about the game. You know, I probably do 20 to 30 minor league games a year. I I do a trip with my son every year where we pick a part of the country and go to minor league baseball games. I love that minor league baseball is really about community. And I love what a minor league baseball team can mean to a community in terms of its impact. And I, you know, my dad... Looked at doing this 30 years ago and for a variety of reasons, wasn't able to pursue it, mostly financial and risk taking. I've thought about doing this for 15 years. And as I more I thought about what was going to happen with the baseball reorganization that, you know, Mm -hmm. was imminent, the more I knew that it would create, you know, opportunities It would create chaos and there would be winners and losers in the process. And out of that would come opportunity. And, you know, it was during COVID and I was thinking about what to do with the next phase of my life. You know, I'm 51 years old and it always came back to baseball. That was something I wanted to be part of. And I just started working my network and making some calls, um, letting people know this was an interest of mine. You know, I figured I'd end up maybe if I was lucky, I raised some money from some friends and a good group of my buddies, my Magic Waters investors, okay. and thought we'd end up with a very small, like, you know, 5%, 10% stake in an affiliated team, could learn the business. Um, and in a couple of years, you know, hopefully put myself in a situation where I could take take on something bigger. Staten Island presented itself, you know, when... Uh, the reorganization happened, and when the former team chose not to take advantage of the ability to start an Atlantic League team, you know, one of the people I had been networking with reached out and said, would you be interested in doing this? And, you know, it's really close to where I live on the Upper West Side. It was a chance to be there every day. I think to do this, you have to be present. Um, you have to be present at the stadium. You have to be present when people are coming. You have to be, I want to be the type of owner and president that is at games talking to fans. And you have to be present in the community because it's, it's really hard work to help get a community to buy into this. So it was a, you know, it's been a lot harder than I ever realized, hmm. but that's how it happened. It was, you know, you put yourself, um, your branch Ricky said, luck is the residue of design. And you put yourself in situations where opportunities present itself. And this one did. And I just decided to seize it, even though it was ahead of my timeline, because I wasn't sure another opportunity like it would come about.
0: Yeah, that's, it sounds like an amazing opportunity to be given, especially in a New York market with the kind of group of investors and group of uh, colleagues you have at the present moment. And obviously, being from the New Jersey, New York area, you know how much, uh, and speaking off of experience going to these various communities, how much that kind of local sense of identity uh, really matters. So uh, I guess my follow-up question would be, uh, partially how is that sense of community really going to drive the focus on Staten Island and uh, in particular uh, is there any sort of initial plan in the short term you know obviously we have a little bit of time before the season starts about four or five months give or take and uh, I'm just wondering in that kind of build-up time here is there any sort of primarily off the field I'm going to just touch on quickly before I bring Will in uh, after this question that that off this field uh, kind of knowledge of the area and the importance of community are going to to factor in or be seen early on.
3: I think it's central to everything we're doing. Uh, Mm -hmm. We started this process early on with a recognition that for this franchise to succeed, it's going to succeed as a Staten Island focused brand. You know, I think the former team, to a degree, I mean, we could spend a lot of time yeah. second-guessing decisions they made. I, I try not to do that. I try and look at things as learning opportunities. But I think there was an over-reliance on the Yankees brand mm. and the Yankees name and the thought that people would just come because it was a Yankees-affiliated team, mm. and they didn't put in the effort into the local community. And Staten Island is a unique borough. Yeah. Um, there is a, a strong degree of pride on the island. There's a strong degree of sense of people don't give them adequate respect and it's a great borough and I think what we are doing, what we've done from day one, is we've gone all in on Staten Island. Now, we will draw some people from the Upper West Side and Wall Street with the new Fast Ferry and we'll draw from New Jersey, but our success or failure is going to be built on whether Staten Island buys into what we're doing and whether we can form a true partnership with Staten Island. And you know, I think the first decision we made reflected that, and we've been true to it the whole time. And that was with the team name, yeah. which you know, I'd like to, if you guys are okay, talk a little bit about how we did that oh, and absolutely. why it was so important.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd definitely be curious to know more about the team name and and everything that went into creating that brand identity.
3: You know, I think when we look at our kind of when we went out to the community, we made a conscious choice that we weren't going to kind of select finalists and let the community vote on it, that we really wanted this to be a process where the community spoke to us and we opened it up and we got 2000 names. And we said to the community, like we're going to come up with a name that is Staten Island specific, that is Staten Island local and that Staten Islanders can be proud of And people would say to me offline, all right, Eric, what's the real name? You know, what are you, where are you guys going to end up? And I was generally like, I'm not sure. And from that 2000 submissions, We got so much great stuff and names that we're going to use throughout the season that are going to be part of promotions and other, and other activities for the teams. It really gave us a flavor of what people on Staten Island felt about the borough and about the team name. And from that, you know, we narrowed it down to seven finalists and then three finalists and we announced the selection of the Ferry Hawks. But, you know, there's a couple interesting things during this, and I, I've said this to others. I started this process out when I first went through the names. I was very drawn to the first responder names. Yeah. Um, you know, with the, with the borough's history, you know, of nine eleven, and the amount of police and fire and public service is all so important on the island. I assumed we'd end up with a name that was similar to that. And the finalists reflected that there was a lot of submissions around, you know, first responder names. We had five of the seven finalists were there. But as I was going around Staten Island, and I'm, you know, I'm on Staten Island almost every day. I'm giving speeches. I'm talking to people. I kept hearing Fairy Hawks. And it was really interesting to me, not only in the fan voting, but also anecdotally as I talked to people. you know, you watch their yeah. body language, you watch how quickly they give you an answer when you ask them what name they like. It was by far People wanted fairy hawks. They felt it was the name the, the ferry so important to the island. It's so iconic people love hawks there's an aggressiveness to it yeah. and ferry hawks kind of flow together and and the public really drove that process where we ended up with the ferry hawk and then the logo and brand again we wanted to make sure the logo and brand were very staten island specific and that's why we have the Verrazano in it we have the ferry in it you know we have the hawk with the backwards cap which reflects a little bit of the edginess yeah. staten island the hawks wearing a green belt which reflects the Staten Island Greenbelt, which is one of the largest open spaces uh, in the five boroughs, and it really is something that we think people of Staten Island can rally around and say, "This is us. This is our team."
0: Yeah, that it, I noticed that a lot in that uh, whole logo design here. Everything about it. There's just little hidden things, and I'm not even sure if this last one that I noticed was intended or not. But I know it's kind of the. The wave or water that the fairy actually cutting through in the logo, if you look at it, and also makes the shape, like the ripple of it, makes the shape of the hawk's beak. And even with the negative space on it, mm. it's supposed to even more look like a hawk's beak. At least I picked up on that a little bit here. Yep. Uh, so that was another cool little touch on it. Uh, before I continue, I do want to get Will involved in this interview. I always have this terrible habit of just kind of talking over and never including <laughs> yeah, him in ever. enough so will i definitely want to get you involved in this now
3: uh, before will speaks can i just give yep. a shout out to sky dylan yep. he was our our graphic designer and he really did an outstanding job And you know, we have a pretty active ownership group with strong opinions and yep. you know sky was highly responsive and we were out in the community every day, so I keep we would call them almost daily. Say, so, listen, I heard this today. I got this thought, and you know, Sky Dylan, who's out of New Jersey, does mm-hmm. a lot of Atlantic League teams. Really did a phenomenal job for us, and I want to give him a shout out.
0: Yep, yeah, uh, definitely. It was a very nice design there. And if I'm not mistaken, he also did the Atlantic League All-Star Game logo yes. for 2020, but that obviously didn't get much run because of the pandemic. But uh, uh, Will, you want to jump in now?
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. So okay, uh, I just wanted to ask. Um, and this is something that uh, with so many teams, at least moving, making that, that transition from affiliated ball uh, to partnership ball, Atlantic League ball, uh, is something that uh, every team has to deal with, especially as a new team early on. But there still is that, that stigma around uh, indie ball, that it's, it's not affiliated ball, and it's not affiliated uh, with the Yankees. Uh, and even though the quality of play uh, going from the New York Penn League and low A ball mm-hmm. to the Atlantic League, it, it's unquestionably an improvement yep. uh, on the on the field. Uh, but how do you plan to get around kind of that, that indie ball stigma to be able to still appeal uh, to the community of Staten Island, com- uh, appeal to the fan base, even though there isn't a Yankees logo attached to it? Uh,
3: well, it's an excellent question, and I haven't thought about it in exactly the way you've said it, but here's how we approach it. I have yet to find anyone who has kind of reflected a care that the, that the Yankees aren't there. Not that they don't care that the Yankees weren't there, that they don't care that it's an affiliated ball. We're not marketing this as a baseball game, we're, when we're out talking to people, we're marketing this as a, you know, a family experience that happens to have a baseball game going on. So to some degree, we have just we have gone right past whether it's affiliated or independent and gone right to here's the product we're going to put on the field i say a lot when i'm on the you know the circuit you know the baseball secondary you know there's a what a phrase you know if people know the score when they leave the game you've failed as a minor league operator i use that a lot and what i have found is people respond to that and what people are telling us is what they want is something to do they want a night out with their family that's fun they never say Yeah, I care. It's the Yankees. And there's a lot of Mets fans on the island, too. But I think the biggest takeaway for me has been people aren't interested in the baseball as much as they're interested in can you create a fun product for them. The other thing that I have used, which I think really resonates with people, is I tell them, listen, as an independent baseball entity, what's really exciting for us is we can create a local flavor on the team. We can hire all kids from Wagner or St. John's or College of Staten Island or Rutgers. We could build a whole team with those players if we want to. We are going to have a Staten Island tryout, and I will guarantee one or two spots to Staten Island players from that tryout. You know, Staten Island not only has the best little league, they have really, really competitive adult men's league, and I am excited to see a couple of these guys out there and whether they can hold their own. So people really like that as an independent operator, we have the ability to control the roster and give it a local flavor. So I have not found an issue with that as I have talked to people. It may occur long term, but right now I think people are excited. Some things are there and they're excited that we have a really kind of different vision of how we want to present the baseball game. We want to be more Savannah bananas, you know, than we are traditional baseball. Okay.
1: Uh, yeah, that's definitely interesting. And on that note from that transition from affiliate affiliated ball to Atlantic league ball, I wanted to ask, cause I, we have, we've had uh, people from different, different ownership groups and presidents on the show before uh, who, who made these similar transitions, specifically the Lexington legends and uh, Charleston dirty birds. And uh, they always mention how they feel that, uh, that they're able to do more with their stadium and they'll be able to be more active in the community than, say, an affiliated ball team would be able to. So I was curious from your perspective, do you think, uh, there's, there's any advantages, uh, from your perspective that having, uh, an Atlantic League team gives you over, say, an affiliated, uh, an affiliated ball team? Like, is it, is there more freedom to, uh, Give, use the stadium for different things than say that you could have uh, while they were a Yankees affiliate that you think people should know about?
3: I think about this question a lot and being that I never was an affiliate ball, my general manager, Gary Perone comes from you know 20 years of affiliate ball. And we are incredibly, incredibly fortunate to have someone with his experience and he's from Staten Island on the squad. But I do believe that I do believe there are significant advantages to us to being an independent team in this environment. Um, you know, I can't speak to whether, you know, we can use the stadium in more ways than the former team could. But I can say at the end of the day, if we want to do a certain promotion, we don't need anyone's permission. You know, the fact that we control our own destiny and how we run the team and the operation is really, really significant from my perspective. So I think the other thing that's interesting about an independent team in this environment is, you know, as the trend in major league baseball has been, you know, a lot of more requirements on, on their minor league affiliates, you know, independent ball doesn't have that. And, you know, minor league affiliates now only have a 10 year agreement and that creates an uncertainty as to the underlying franchise and investments you're going to make because you don't know if you're going to be re-upped. So an independent team, we don't have any of that uncertainty. Which again, from a business perspective, um, I think is another interesting angle that makes an independent team very attractive in this environment.
1: Sure. And when, uh, at least, because I, I Nick, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you've been to the to the stadium at now. And I've been quite a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was at the. I also went to like the All Star game yep. in, uh, in in 2019 uh, as well. And I think when. Uh, and so, what I would love to ask you next about is like. The state, the stadium itself um, was certainly, I think, especially in that year in 2020, where it uh, definitely needed some some maintenance, even some uh, as far as far as parking. Like, are you hearing the same things from fans uh, as far as like, well, I'd like to see like like some upgrades to the stadium, some upgrades parking wise. Like, what what are you guys planning to do as far around those uh, around those aspects?
3: Uh, yeah, this is what, uh, among the many things that keep me up at night. So I was at that all-star game in 2019 with my son. And I remember when, you know, Staten Island first became available and a couple of my investor guys were like, all right, what's Staten Island Stadium like? And I was like, honestly, it's depressing. Um, and I remember as a fan, it was depressing. It it looked old. There's not much color there. There weren't fan amenities. And that's something that we are going to completely overhaul. So parking, we will have parking available. There is the The outlet mall next to us, which we will have access to. And then we will be opening up the north site garage, which used to be open and then was shut down. The parking is critical. I hear it from fans all the time. Make sure you have adequate parking. Staten Island is a car culture. So we are highly sensitive to that and highly responsive to that. So there will be adequate parking. I think the other things from a fan perspective, the the, the stadium really hasn't been well taken care of. Uh, it needs a lot of love and it needs people who give a damn about it. And we're spending a lot of time doing what I call non-sexy mm-hmm. items, which is, you know, fixing leaks. There are tons of leaks that cut into the locker room and the turf. And we're in the process, you know, our stadium facilities, Guy Ray, who's awesome. Uh, we got him from one of the local little little leagues. We're patching all those leaks. So there's a series of preventive maintenance that we're undertaking just to take care of the stadium. The second issue then is, okay, how do you change the fan experience? How do you make, how do you create this, fulfill the vision of people coming to a game who aren't going to sit in their seats and watch baseball for nine innings or even six innings? How do you create an environment? And we're really got some exciting things coming on in terms of looking at creating some bar and lounge areas, as well as kind of what we consider a festival down in one area. But we're looking at what we have. We have this amazing view of the harbor and the Manhattan skyline. Just, it's incredible. And then how do we work within the spaces we have? So there are fan activities where they can go. They want to watch a game for a couple innings. Great. They want to go out to left field with a bunch of their friends. And we've created a bar in that area. Maybe it's, you know, a place, you know, New York's going to have sports betting. So a place where people can go sure. on their phones, place bets on Major League Baseball, have televisions, watch with their friends. It's really, how do you create an environment? People aren't going to come to the game Well, not enough of them are going to come to a game just to watch baseball. They're going to come to a game because it's like a night out where they can watch baseball. They can socialize with their friends. They can take pictures on social media and post them. They can hang out as if they were at a bar. And for families, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to go to the game. I'm going to get them their ice cream and popcorn. I'm going to go over there. They're going to have a series of, you know, festival games for them to play. They'll take a picture with the mascot We're really focused on how we create activities at the ballpark that fans can enjoy as part of the game, as opposed to expecting fans to just come to the game and watch the game. You know, we just brought on King Henry, who's the longtime Brooklyn Cyclones on-field entertainment. He's our, you know, chief of fun. That's going to give us a whole other aspect of creating, you know, in-game fun experience.
1: Right, and I think I think you make a lot of good points there. I love that I love the sports betting uh, aspect of it. Not that not that I'm a huge, uh, like sports guy myself, but I, I do know specifically in New York, like once uh, the hoops that, that need to be jumped through are all done, and people people can definitely legally bet in in New York. I mean, I think that that could be a great idea and something that I can't say I've seen from too many minor league teams or uh, or, or independent league teams. Uh, I, I was I was curious because uh, that perked my interest when you talked about it. I guess like where did where did that idea come from? And uh, trying to trying to use like sports gambling and sports betting as as part of your your uh, your in game uh, amenities for fans around the ballpark.
3: Yeah, it's something Gary Perron and I have talked about. And the reality is, for young fans today, you know, sports betting is part of how they consume sports, and you know, the concept that we don't have to you know. New York's going to have FanDuel, DraftKings, WinBet. They'll all have their own licenses. You know, why can't you, you know, have a television set up at a stadium where people on their phones can watch games and play sports bets? Like once it's legal in New York to do that, it's just creating the right environment, which goes to our larger issue of, you know, we want to create the environment where people want to come to the game, not to consume the game, but to consume an experience that the game is part of. And, you know, why shouldn't, you know, if you're 22 years old or 23 years old, you know, I talk to my cousins, he and his friends, they go to the bar on a Sunday and they're doing their prop bets while they're watching NFL games. That's how they're watching. And I think that's a, you know, that is a trend that we're going to see accelerate with the younger generation of fans who the game needs.
1: That's a a really good point. Again, I can't say... I've heard that from it, from any other like minor league or indie or uh independent league baseball team. So that that def- that definitely interests me. I think you're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of interest for, from that side of things from those from those young kids and spe- specifically you mentioned those colleges on Staten Island and you're trying to draw uh, s- some of those kids uh to the game uh from Wagner or or anywhere else uh, on the island, uh, Nick, I want I want to bring you in here because in case you have, I'm sure you have some questions revolving around specific ones around fan experience. I definitely want to give you an opportunity to ask that as well.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I know you could probably get a good broadcaster from Hofstra too. I I happen to know one, but <laughs> but uh certainly the the whole fan betting aspect's interesting, and I certainly think there's even a way you can incorporate. It's, so
3: clear. it's not on independent baseball; it's just yeah. creating an environment where people yeah. on their phones can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: It's a site. Right. Yeah, it's more for major league sports, obviously, Um but. I do just want to go back and touch on the whole GM search, certainly, because that was yep. something that was going to be critical. And obviously for a little bit there, some of us following were saying, all right, we're getting a little bit on in the cycle. We want to you know, see a higher or something. And then when you brought in Gary Perrone to be the GM, obviously a lot of experience in Brooklyn and very successful in Brooklyn, uh, clearly judging off of how the Cyclones have done. And being a Staten Island native, it seemed like a natural fit. So I was just kind of wondering if you could walk us through what that process was like to bring him on.
3: Sure. We are very fortunate that Gary was willing to leave a very stable and successful career to join us and help build something in his hometown. I think it's a great opportunity for him. It's in many ways the culmination of what's been an incredible career. And for him to come home in his hometown and build something is very special. And we're really excited to have him. You know, as I looked at, you know, our ownership group and what we brought to the table, obviously minor league experience was something that we did not have, you know, and I also knew if we were going to really sell this as a Staten Island product, you know, having people with Staten Island roots and Staten Island credibility was really integral to making that happen. Um, you know, realistically, I didn't think I'd end up with someone who had both of those characteristics. You know, I had originally read about Gary, uh in the staten island advance in an article they did and he's a good person he has good values you know he's good family he cares about people he's you know another branch tricky quote is he honest is he loyal is he capable uh, and he met all three of those and you know it took a couple months of conversations with him and i and with him and you know john Katz and tvs just to make sure that the fit worked i mean this is a partnership and we had to make sure that, you know, we all were, had the same goals and values. And for Gary to get comfortable, that this was something that was worth um, moving on from. So, yeah, you know, it was a couple of weeks of conversations. It wasn't months. That was that was wrong. It was a couple of weeks of, you know, whether he was comfortable or not, whether we were comfortable. But, you know, really fortunate. He checks every box we could want in the general manager.
0: Yeah, and obviously, it looks to be the signs of a really great hiring so far. And so I guess an extension of that is uh, when are we going to start to see a bit more pieces kind of fill in here? Maybe a manager, maybe some other uh, front office pieces. And how much do some of those other characteristics... Uh, uh, apply to that kind of a search for these other positions i imagine you know the values and the morals are important and then obviously then you tack on capability because if they're not capable of doing the job they're and not. that's that's obviously the chief concern
3: yes so we we've been bringing on one or two people every week or so we're up yeah. to i think about seven or eight now um, we've got another announcement we'll be making this week on an assistant general manager who will be bringing on who i'm really excited about mm-hmm. And we're going to move slowly um, and we're going to build organically, but hiring is happening on the business side. You know that we open up in five months, and I'm highly conscious of every day. You know we don't get back on the timeline of all that we have to meet. So we're we're moving quickly on that. Resumes are flowing in. You know we're definitely looking for salespeople, and you know we're looking for you know other jobs still on the baseball side. But you know we're we're getting there. You know the manager is something we're really focused on. Also, you know I think our preference at this point is Mm -hmm. to have a manager with some major league baseball experience you know this is new york city we think it is important in this market uh to have that we'd love to find someone with some yankees or mets ties that you know kind of more of the wally backman model yeah there is someone that the fans can get used to sparky lyle when he was down in somerset But, but you know we do think of it holistically in the sense of the atlantic league is its own beast And it's important that we have people with Atlantic League experience on staff. So we try and view it as manager, hitting coach, pitching coach, you know, a baseball ops person. They all work together and the skills that each of them bring together have to complement it. So that at the end of the day, you know, we've got someone who can manage a team and who can command respect in the locker room. We have people on there who have player networks to help us recruit. And we have people on there who understand the nuances of the Atlantic League. I've talked to several of the teams that have gone through this, and it's a learning curve, you know, your first year or two in the Atlantic League with its rules. So, you know, we do think of it as a package of skills and capabilities that we want to have at the end of the day that don't all have to be found in the manager, but have to be found, you know, within our baseball side operation.
0: Yeah. Yeah. so
3: So soon, you know, we still we want to have a manager in place in the next four to six
0: weeks. Yeah, because it's always important, like with any baseball team, the, the end result's what matters, and you can make up a lot of characteristics in that aggregate to get the, the result you want to see there, and so... Uh, from that, you mentioned you were talking to a lot of people in the Atlantic League and obviously networking and whatnot. And so I'm kind of curious to know uh, who has been the most helpful in this process of adjusting to independent league baseball on a whole, but certainly the Atlantic League more specifically. Is there individuals in the league, outside the league, that have been particularly helpful or useful in this transition, or is it just kind of a little bit from everywhere? Um,
3: Everyone I have asked Mm -hmm. responds immediately and is helpful there is a collective sense in minor league baseball not just in the atlantic league of like this is a really hard business Mm -hmm. and we will help you succeed because your success is good for all of us that has really been overwhelming i have found that since i started networking a year ago trying to find an opportunity everybody wants you to succeed and it's really helpful we you know there are decisions we come across every day where i'm like oh i wonder how teams do this and i've got a Half dozen to a dozen GMs, mm-hmm. some an affiliated, some in independent that I'll just shoot off a question like, oh, what ticket vendor do you use? Or how do you set up commissions or, you know, some other random questions that's on my mind that day. Yeah. So that's been particularly helpful. You know, Dave Martin down in Gastonia yeah. hosted, hosted us for a day or two um, over the summer. They had just gone through this. So he was incredibly helpful. Rick White from day one. Yeah. has made himself available he's been great you know chuck domino you know has that depth of decades of experience and ball and having looked at now what it's like here but i i will not there you know, I, I can't say everyone's name but i will say this every gm or president i call calls me back like almost instantaneously um and they all want to help and what's interesting you know all these teams do things a little differently you know, their org charts are all a little differently how they approach things everyone in the league is so generous with their time and knowledge that it's really comforting
0: yeah and that's the one thing that struck out to me too when i first you know started getting involved in this is just you could email anybody ask anybody anything and they do their best to get back to you with an yeah. answer and it's just such a welcoming kind of community that it they definitely want you to succeed because like you said the success of one individual is good for the success of the collective uh, organizations as a whole and so uh on a kind of parallel look at this i'm kind of wondering uh what would you define year one as a success as what objective if you hit it you'd go this was a great year to build off of and a great platform to go on to year two and into the future on is are there certain Areas that you'd like to hit both on the field, off the field? Uh, what, what are some of those objectives that you'd like to hit to call this year a success?
3: That is a wonderful question. Um, you know, we don't have anything on paper, but I do have thoughts in my head. I mean, we yeah. want to average, you know, at least 2,500 fans. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a realistic number. And, you know, I think it's what my minimum goal is. Yeah. You know, I want to have a competitive product on the field. I know as a startup, it's particularly difficult. You know, there's no expansion draft in this league or anything like that. So I want to have a competitive product on the field. Most of my goals are really off the field in the sense of I want to make sure that we have, you know, three to six high school graduations at the stadium. I want to make sure we have a series of youth sports. That get into the stadium this year. I want to make sure that we have some concerts and festivals this year, not a full schedule because realistically,
2: hmm.
3: you know, the city is planned for the turf has the turf in by May 1st. Yeah. So I understand there's challenges of some of scheduling, yeah. you know, entertainment and things which book out a little bit in advance. But if we look back at the end of 22 and I can say, you know, I had four to six graduations of Staten Island schools in the stadium. That I had a couple cultural festivals, that we pulled off a, a craft beer festival and a food festival, and we had some entertainment, whether that's some small concerts, you know, a comedy show, that we could have done that in year one and proved that even in our startup year, that you can make this a year round entertainment venue, and that I can go back to the community and say, We said we were gonna make the stadium a relevant part of life on Staten Island in our first year we were able to do that we're only going to build off of that into year two and year three
0: yeah definitely I mean that that's the goal of all of these stadiums and all of these teams is to really be a community asset and build into that community and so I guess the the last thing I have to add before I'll I'll toss back to Will is what do you see this team's identity as we've talked about obviously incorporating the community into and having the community have a large hand and say in what the team is but more specifically, and I know we did touch on this a little bit, what do you see at the end of the day, in maybe a sentence or two, as the team identity?
3: I want the team to be open to the fans. Hmm. That is really important to me. This is, you know, a lot of guys that are around league to be careful. You know, like, you don't want jerks in the locker room. Hmm. Um, it can really become a cancer on the clubhouse. And I think What's important to me is from management and ownership and staff, we are really passionate about community. We're passionate about baseball. We're passionate about Staten Island. And I want people, I want the team to reflect that in terms of how they engage with fans and how they engage with community and how they engage on the field. Uh, That we represent Staten Island well and that we are fan engaged.
2: Yep
0: great answer for that because that like i said that fan engagement and that openness is is critical to everything. Uh so yeah, you
3: know this week we're going to be kind of launching a name the mascot contest. Okay. So we're going to be doing a series of things throughout the season that bring fan input into how we build the brand. Like that's really important part of what we're going to be doing on a regular mm-hmm. and recurring basis.
0: Yep. Uh so with that I'm going to go back to Will because I know uh I it's been a little bit since uh we've gotten him back into the conversation. So I'll, I'll toss it back over to him now and let him uh get in here.
1: Sure. So uh so Eric, I wanted to touch on one thing you said when you talked about and you started to touch on it when you you start you talked about you would prefer like a manager Ideally, with some MLB experience of some sort, maybe some Mets and Yankees ties, and and I wanted to ask specifically. And and while I understand this, this has a lot more. This falls a lot more on the on the plate of whoever you hire uh, as a manager. But Staten Island, with obviously in in New York City, it it has the potential to be a real destination for guys. Uh, for guys looking for an indie ball opportunity maybe some potentially for some bigger names uh some Mets or Yankees ties is that is that kind of how you view it just based on the advantages that uh that a team in Staten Island provides
3: uh exactly you know we think this is a great destination for players I mean you know the Yankees are part of our ownership group which is just really interesting we play in New York City so there's a lot bigger exposure And I think what, you know, for players that are listening or players, friends who they talk to, you know, here's what we're going to offer you. One, a really good stadium with a with a professional quality manager. Second, housing, you know, decent food, a great locker room. We are going to make the player experience here very positive. So just as I want my staff, you know, to feel that this is a great place to work, we want players to understand we're going to take care of them. And make sure they have what they need to succeed. You know, we're already, You know, I've heard other people say, Oh, Staten Island housing is going to be a problem. And I get that housing is expensive in New York City. We're already in talks with a couple entities that we think are going to provide some really excellent, affordable, very low cost housing options for players. You know, there's a lot of interesting food options that we can do to help make sure players have decent, decent meals. So, and in terms of facilities. You know, making sure the facilities at the stadium are amenable to players coming, being able to take care of their business and put themselves in the best light and best position to move on to affiliated ball or a contract overseas. We understand that, you know, our job is to build a, you know, a community team. But from the players perspective, our job is to give them an environment in which they can get better in which they give them the best chance to showcase what they can do because they want to get back to affiliate ball and that's good for them. And it's good for us also. And we think we have some unique advantages that's going to really make Staten Island, you know, a premier place for players to want to come.
1: Sure. And uh, the, and the one other thing I wanted to, uh, I wanted to touch on before, while we had John here before, before we let you go, uh, every team in the Atlantic league, at least currently they have that, Close rival, uh, to that, to, that's very close in proximity to them. Obviously, you you would think that, uh, for you, for you guys in the Staten Island Ferry Hawks, that would be the Long Island Ducks, who used to obviously have a huge, uh, rivalry with the Somerset Patriots before they ended up moving on, uh, to affiliated ball with the Yankees. Is a rivalry with Long Island, with, with the Ducks, kind of something that you've, uh, that you've thought about, or something that maybe the team is going to try and uh, push for a little bit. Especially, I mean, the Ducks have had so much success in the Atlantic League for such a long time. Is that is that something you're, you guys are looking for, and something that uh, you guys are going to push for? Oh, definitely. Um,
2: I'm
3: quite confident that a fairy hawk can shred a duck if I were to put them one on one of our mascot <laughs> fights. But
2: listen,
3: what Frank has done to build this league is astonishing. You know, and Mike Pfaff is a pro's pro at this business. They are as good as you find. And I have the highest degree of respect for what they've built on and off the field. I mean, they set a standard of excellence that I will measure Ferry Hawks against every year. You know, that said, you know, Staten Island and my ownership group and myself, like, we're not cowed by it. Um, <laughs> I love that they're this close to us and I love that they're this good because it is a natural rivalry and we are completely committed to taking them on and, and justifying our place in this league and giving them a rival that they deserve. And I think from our fans' perspective, there's a lot of interesting opportunities about you know fans chartering buses back and forth to the game. There's a lot we can work on. I think it's in both of our interests uh, for a rivalry to develop. It will naturally, but it's something you know I think about a lot. Really, listen, they're, they're the A-game in this business and we want to get there and uh, we will, but we're, we're ready to take them on. It'll be, it'll be fun for both of us, but we're coming for you, Long Island.
1: <laughs> well, that's yeah. definitely what we love to hear. So I uh, I think that, that's about all I have, Nick, if there's anything you wanted to add uh, on your end.
0: Yeah. yeah. There, there was just a couple more that, uh, that I had here. And uh, uh, the first one, uh, I will admit it's completely unrelated actually to Stan Island here a bit, because I know you're a huge Met fan, Eric. So, I do have to say, as a Met fan myself, it's been a great week for us, hasn't it?
3: (laughs) Between (laughs) Scherzer signing is, uh, the one I'm, how are you not excited? But I think he's Uh a, he's a game changer in the culture in the clubhouse. It's been a long time since we've had someone with his, you know, veteran competitiveness. And I think what he will do to help Alonzo and DeGrom strengthen the leadership of the squad is really it's exciting as
0: a fan oh yeah it definitely is and then last night hearing that gil hodge is finally in the hall of fame yeah. that was just like a nice hit, especially for for my dad in particular because he's been a met fan you know since the mets were formed so <laughs> so for him to see gil hodge get in when i told that he's like finally it's a, it's way overdue yeah. but yeah i just had to touch on it because when i saw you're a met fan i was like oh well i gotta mention the mets a little bit in here uh so there's that oh,
1: real real quick I actually uh, you know on the on on the unrelated sports topic i did uh, one thing you want to add eric the university of michigan grad how are we feeling right now
3: we're feeling good although i will admit uh i love michigan it's amazing and fun to watch this team good for harbaugh to get over the osu hump but uh my head is all in the mets and fairy hawks nowadays it is It, it consumes me there's only so much time i can devote in my you know i do have like a wife and yeah two boys who i love spending time with so michigan has probably suffered in my rootingness over the past couple of years but it, it's a fun time for all of us
2: yeah Fair
0: enough. Fair enough. i imagine so uh can i just give one plug before i leave Just yeah sure just i, I light, actually had light. two i had two questions left so okay y- yeah yeah if, if i could just get those two in and then i'll yeah. give you five ten minutes at the end to plug whatever you no, need, need to plug 30 it. seconds yep all right so uh yeah, I just wanted to know quickly if there was players that wanted to get in touch for a try-it opportunity, where could they do that? And for fans now at this point, um, <clears throat> how can they support the team right now? If they, After listening to this, they say, I really am interested in this team. I want to support them. How could they go about doing that?
3: Uh, I love this question because that's what I wanted to ask. So my personal email is eric, with a C, E-R-I-C, at ferryhawks.com. I would encourage fans or players to reach out to me. I love talking to fans i love hearing what they want it's really been informative to think how we create the product you know for players or agents uh, i would encourage you to contact our gm gary perone at gary at ferryhawks.com those are the those are the best ways you know for fans one follow us on instagram at ferryhawks you know, I think we're up to o- over 1200 followers in our first week. So we're really excited about that. And I have learned that that's how people follow people, you know, don't read the mm-hmm. newspaper as much as they used to. So mm-hmm. social media is where we post things regularly. Um, we do have our group ticket packages available on fairyhawks.com. We have a season 23. It's Bobby Thompson's number. So, you know, yeah. the great, uh, Staten Islander, yeah. uh, 23 game ticket package. And we have a really cool 11 game. Little League package where a dollar from every ticket goes to support La- uh, Staten Island Little Leagues. So those are our ticket plans up right now. We're working on our individual game and our promotion schedule. Gary's hard at work on that. And we have our Fairy Hawks merchandise, which hopefully should start arriving next week. So people can find that on the website also. And just generally send us your ideas and suggestions. You know, we, we welcome it. So people have been great so far. I want to thank you guys again. Uh, what you're doing for independent baseball is really important, and it was really helpful to myself and my group as we were kind of researching and pursuing this opportunity.
0: Yeah, we're glad to be of help, and obviously, uh, if you if you need something, just let us know. We're always happy to help grow the game of independent league baseball. And you know, I'm I'm going to be very interested to see what you guys do both on the field and in the digital space, because obviously those two areas are extremely important in growing the game. Agree. Yeah. Agree on that. So we'll let you go. I know you're a busy man, so I'll, I'll nope. let you let you handle that. Uh, if you want to take five minutes here at the end to, to plug anything else or say anything else or do anything of that nope. nature, feel free to do so.
3: Uh, I am great. Thank you again. Follow us at, at Fairyhawks. Check out our website, fairyhawks.com and Eric at fairyhawks.com or Gary at fairyhawks.com to reach us. And thank you. And you know, go Atlantically, go Fairy Hawks
0: Alright, we'd just like to thank Eric for taking the time to come on to the show. Uh, if you do any bit of looking into him, you can tell he's a very very, very busy man, so we appreciate him parking uh, just about an hour to talk to us, so uh, thanks for coming on, Eric. We appreciate that. Um, with that said, we do have a little bit else in the way of news to get to today before we sign off, and that is Josh Schaub has gotten an extension as the commissioner of the American Association. He came on uh right in 2019 taking over from miles wolf and he has been now given a two-year extension by the executive committee there is a three-year option attached to that so my way of reading it is if he accepts the option he's in for another three years and now it's just an additional year that's uh, the way it's seemingly been worded everywhere it's three-year option so Saying as it never said 30-year option, I'm not going to take it that way. Um, yeah, but that's pretty much all there is to that extension. Uh, definitely a good decision. You're bringing back probably one of the better commissioners, uh, really across the minor league realm, if you really want to get down to business here. Definitely a guy that knows what he's doing. He navigated some tough waters last year, certainly, and is really modernizing uh, the American Association while trying to keep that old-time feel. So certainly not the easiest of tasks of tasks, and he has done a, a very good job of it so far.
1: Yeah, I, I think he's he is definitely one of the, I think, the best commissioner in all of ball, and I think yeah. that um, just from where the American Association was and where it used to be to where it is now, I think it's a considerable, considerable jump uh, that he deserves a lot of credit for. So I think bringing him back Pretty much,
0: pretty much a no brainer, I would say. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And I mean, also, when you factor in, he's kind of taking over from Miles Wolf, which I mean, it's an extremely difficult task when you're taking over for a guy that, yeah. you know, kind of started modern indie ball. I mean, that's not exactly an easy uh, set of shoes to fill. So, I mean, you know, it's uh definitely a tough task, but you know we're going to get the opportunity to ask him about that and ask him about you know some of the rule change for the upcoming year bringing late country in and all of that entails that because he is going to be our guest next week we're going to welcome the commissioner josh shaw back onto the show if you remember we had him on back in 2020 right before they announced the season and what's funny about that is we we're supposed to have like a half hour hour to talk and he's like uh I know we have this scheduled, but I'm right in the middle of things. I can give you 10 minutes and then we could do something later on. And I was like, Yeah, that'll cool. work. And I was like, I wonder what he's working on because I like was getting a sense that the season was kind of getting close, but I didn't know how close. And right as I was editing the show, editing the interview, and getting everything together, I looked over at my phone and I saw the press release saying that the season was announced. So I was like, Oh, well, that's what he was working on. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's going to be good to actually have him on, and have him. You know, for a good little bit of time to talk about the American Association, you know, what the plans are for the future, how everything's come together, you know, the whole nine there, really.
1: Yeah, definitely a lot to talk about there. And I I remember I remember that uh, that interview. And, you know, you can understand why he didn't have a ton of time. And uh, so uh, very excited to have a a full length, full length interview on the podcast with Josh Schaub. So many things to talk about. And I can't wait
0: oh yeah that's definitely going to be a good one so if you are listening uh to this the day of release you probably got about uh, 48 hours to get down any sort of questions you want uh asked or areas of discussion there be sure to shoot them off on social media let me know uh so that way we can write those questions down and then get straight to it but uh with that we you're kind of at the end of the line this week there wasn't too much in the way of news so it was definitely a good thing we got that interview otherwise this would be a radically short week um but yeah on that note we'll go to the plugs and we will try to get out of here so that way you can enjoy the rest of your day that said if you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod or on Instagram at IndieBallReport or at AOPB underscore news. Likewise, uh, if you want to follow the show to listen to the show, you could do so on just about any podcast you Stitcher, Spotify, Podomatic, uh, the Apple Podcast, the Google Podcast, Amazon Music. Like I said, most anywhere you can find the show. So be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And if you want to find the show notes, links to any of the other episodes we mentioned here, that shop episode, that Billy Horn episode, anything like that, uh, that's all on the website. Uh, You could do so at uh, www.indieballreport.com. That's the website link. So be sure to go over there and give that place a look. And uh, before we sign off, do we have anything else left to add? I know you're going to add. So before you start on that and then I go off onto a Mm -hmm. tangent about it. I do have one thing I want to throw out to you as a decent idea because I had it written down in my stack of things to add at the very end before, and I had no idea what the hell it was. And then I was thinking about it the other day, and I remembered what it was. So I want to throw this idea out because I think it'll be a fun episode idea for like the middle of January where there's no news and we didn't get an interview.
1: Okay.
0: All right. So here's the idea. Indie Ball expansion draft done like the way most leagues do it, an expansion draft. Obviously that doesn't really work in indie ball when everybody's on a one year contract and people just kind of move around. That said, if we were to treat it as though it were a traditional league where we could use say Lake Country as an example or even Stan Island whichever and do a, a expansion draft built around that off of all the other rosters, I think that could be pretty fun. Mm. We spend one episode building the protection list, and then the second episode actually picking the teams and going through the picks.
1: Yeah, I think that could be a good idea. It's intriguing, unique. Uh, you could say, uh, yeah, I think that I think that could be. It's a nice challenge too, I yeah. think, and I think that that's what I that's what I think I like about it. So uh, I think that could definitely work.
0: Yeah, and my thinking is. We go ahead, we could put together like a uh, NHL style protection thing. So maybe say sure. five pitchers and three batters, or say six players in total, or whatever it may be, you know, some combination like that. And we go through and you know, pick through from each roster. And the one episode will debate the protection list, of course. So that way we're working off of the same list. Because even throw yeah. that list up on social media or on the website too. So that way, listeners can play along on it. And then that second episode, we'll go through and reveal the team that we selected there. I think that would be a, uh, a real fun one.
1: Agreed. Agreed. We should do that.
0: Yeah. We'll bookmark that for the middle of uh, middle of uh, January because the rest of December is booked. Buck- oh, yeah, that reminds me too. I totally forgot. Q&A episode, we do have a firm date now. That is going to be the last week of December that we record it we have to work on an actual date we're going to be recording it but if you can get your questions in by say the 27th of December then you'll be set you'll be good you'll definitely get your questions answered if you can get in by 27 that was going to come out on surprisingly enough January the 1st so yeah uh, that's when you can expect to hear the Q&A episode but that week leading up to the 1st of January is when we're going to record it so get your questions in of that now with that said I'm going to just turn it over to Mr. Ruckers here so we can talk about how the Big Ten is both a good and bad conference at the same time.
1: I mean, listen, I, I think the Big Ten is a very good conference. So I think that, you know, from top to bottom, I think every year, I, I'd argue it's, it's become the best conference in all of college basketball, and I don't even think it's that close. Um, so, but anyway, uh, Ruckers basketball coming into yesterday had a very... It's had a very rough season for a team that had a, some a good deal of expectations coming into this year. A lot of returners from that uh, NCAA tournament team a year ago uh, that almost took down Houston in the round of thirty-two. If they didn't blow a lead late, they would have. It wasn't going well. They had come they were coming off a 35 point loss on the road against Illinois. Uh, they lost to Lafayette at home, they lost at UMass on a buzzer beater. Like it just, they lost at DePaul. Like, it, it just wasn't going well at all. Um, and then it was just kind of like a nothing-to-lose game at home against Purdue. And, I mean, and then Ron Harper Jr., just absolutely incredible. I mean, 30 points, uh, the unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable shot at the end. I mean, it's one of those wins that really can jumpstart a turnaround of the season. Uh, As a Rutgers basketball fan, I'm very, very excited uh, Still, still get never being sick here, so I can't talk too much or get like too hyped up and change my voice and like, all that stuff. Kind of like I wanted to, yeah. but uh, just a, just an incredible game, one of the best shots I think you'll ever see uh, t- to win it. Uh, one of the I one of, I can't remember another shot of uh, that magnitude in, in the history of Rutgers basketball, really, to knock off the number one team in the nation and. It just shows, like when you play at the rack, like it's eight thousand people. It's, but it's just like everyone's on top of you, screaming their heads off. It's a tough place to play, man. And is uh, even though like the stadium itself, compared to other Big Ten schools, isn't that nice? Like it, it, it's Rutgers, and it's that uh, it, it it's really it's a special place, and it's hard. It's really hard to win basketball games there. It doesn't matter if you're the number one team in the country. So. Uh, it's an awesome win. Hoping they could turn, hoping it could spark a turnaround in their season.
0: That Jersey Mike's arena is a special place, isn't it? But I do want to say I know you didn't mean it in this phrasing, but it was like, yeah, there's a lot of nicer Big Ten schools, and then there's rockers. Oh uh, no, I mean, I know that's not the, how you meant it. Arenas.
1: Yeah, I, I the arenas. I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, come on. Yeah, I know how you meant it. It's just like <laughs> I got to laugh at it because I was like, yeah, that's kind of my point. <laughs> But, I mean, I suppose if you're a Rockers fan, things like this are, you know, they're big. As a Duke fan, this is just like, I'm used to being on the other end of it. So, I've just kind of come around to rooting for the number one team in this. Where it's like, yeah, yeah, I've been there. It sucks. It's not fun. It's uh, definitely not fun losing as a one seed. I can guarantee you that. Uh, But, you know, I will say this does help Duke. So, I'm okay with it. I can live with this. Because, I mean... This does make our Ohio State loss look less bad because now we have a clear shot at one because Christ knows there's nobody else taking one. So,
1: exactly, exactly.
0: That, that's the only reason I'm okay with this. Uh, but I do, there's for me being not the biggest uh, Seton Hall guy or Rutgers guy because everyone's big on Seton Hall and Rutgers in New Jersey for obvious reasons. Yesterday was a bit rough for me not going to lie, between Texas losing, which, to be honest, I expected that one. I don't know why I took them in, like, my streak for cash either. I took Texas because I was like, yeah, oh, they're a seven seed. Yeah, Seton Hall's ranked, but I don't think they're that good. And then as I clicked, I was like, Seton Hall's going to screw me, aren't they? They're going to win. And then I'm going to have to deal with all that horns-down nonsense. And my streak's going to go to, like, L3 now. And then sure enough, that happened, which, again, like I said, I expected it uh but rockers was not one i was expecting i really was not I kind of expected purdue to beat the hell out of them and then that didn't happen and then it looked like it was going to happen and then it stopped looking like it was going to happen and then it didn't and that was just very disappointing to me and i blame todd frazier for being in the in attendance and providing luck and that that's that's all i'm going to blame on him
1: It it always happens like that doesn't it
0: it does it really does so with that i'll I think we've kind of reached the end of the road here. We'll leave it at that. And uh, next week, we'll come back at you with another good interview. And the week after that, we'll have another good interview. And then we're going to do a QA and a episode. And then who the hell knows, maybe there'll be an interview. Maybe we'll be doing an expansion thing. Who knows? So, until next time, don't forget to play ball.